And you are listening to WMNF, WMNF Tampa, WMNF, the best little station in the nation. Thank you so much for being out there and listening to this wonderful radio station. My name is Joellen Schilke. I am the hostess who loves you absolutely the mostest. I do. It's true. This show is called Art in Your Ear. Coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to be chatting with the cast, some of the cast and director of Picasso at the Lapine Agile. I'm probably butchering that. Uh, but it's a show that's opening up at Jobsite Theater, written by Steve Martin, one of the funniest plays with so much good meaty stuff. So I hope you'll stay tuned to listen to that. Meanwhile, we'll have lots of stuff to tell you uh, that is going on around town and here at the radio station. So do stick with us. I don't know if anybody watched the Emmys on Monday night. I didn't watch. I dipped in and out, but uh, one of the people who was recognized for their talent sang this next song and it's so beautiful and I had never heard of it so I hope that uh, you like this this is called Endangered Species I am an endangered species whoa, 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 whoa.
All right. And that is Diane Reeves doing that version of it. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm so excited that you are listening to Art in Your Ear here on WMNF. Uh, right now, I have Robert Gabriel and Jada Canty in the studio with me, and hopefully pretty soon uh, we will have Carrie, um, I just blanked out, Carrie's, <laughs> God, that's so bad, um, with uh, Carrie Guts on the phone uh, calling in, and she is the director. But I want to get started with you guys because I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for yeah. having us. So um, now, were you all familiar with the show before you... Uh, before you heard it, before you got cast for it? Not at all. <laughs> so, no. um, well, will you talk a little bit, just for one minute, tell me who, tell me a little bit about your version of Picasso, Robert. So, uh, yeah, Picasso is just this sort of brooding and very moody artist. And um, he's, he's sort of full of himself and arrogant and cocky. But there's also this very vulnerable side to him that sort of gets highlighted throughout the play, and, and especially in a scene with actually mine and Jada's characters together. And he, um, and, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the, uh, I think, does he feel very alone, like he's a one of a kind? Yeah, absolutely. And I think he feels sort of, yeah, alone and sort of plagued by his idea that he's this artistic genius, you know? Right. And then now, Jermaine, the character you play, has, Jada has a very different sort of way of making her way through the world, it seems. Absolutely. Uh, Jermaine, she's this, she's very intelligent. She's this sexy waitress at this uh, bar. How do you, how do you say it pronounced? I, I don't think I said it correctly before. La Pina Gilles? La Pina Gilles. La Pina Gilles, yes. okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's just, I think she just represents the... The, the progress, the progressivity of um, the future, because she has this monologue where she just starts talking about there's going to be airplanes in the future, there's going to be <laughs> lawn flamingos, and, right. <laughs> and so. But also, like Germaine was actually based on a real person. Um, Picasso knew she was actually his lover and his friend, and she was actually one of his models that he would paint. And she was also a ballerina and, you know, they were just really good friends. And in the play, it reflects that they, they have this little cat and mouse mm -hmm. together and but they also have this vulnerability. And then she in the play, she humbles Picasso. I'm not going to get no, away, yeah, yeah, but, but she humbles him like you need to come back to Earth. Right. You, you, you know, you. Um, we all need to yeah. get a grip friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh Carrie, our director, she uh, she actually told us that Steve Martin, the playwright of this play, I guess he based that whole part of he had an actual experience um, with a woman that basically was like, oh, you think you're you think you're this great actor and comedian, and um, she she just brought Steve Martin down to earth. And Steve Martin kind of just inserted that into the play. That's awesome. Yep. Well, speaking of Carrie, I think we have her on the phone. Carrie, are you there? I sure am. Can you all hear me? We can. Yes. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for joining us. I'm really glad that you're here. Now, you were on the show uh, 10, 11, 12 years ago when you directed this for Job Site. I was. I was. This is the, uh, this is the 
the show that I wanted 13 years ago and got to fully realize it this time around that it has been an extraordinary experience. That sounds fantastic. So before we went on the air, we were talking a little bit about how Steve Martin, uh, Robert was talking about how Steve Martin kind of updates the script, that it's not sort of like this museum piece that was created in 93 and has never been touched. You know, it's very precious. So will you talk a little bit about um, just real quickly, like the, a difference between what you see in the play, and you just said this is the one that I wanted to do. What's the what's what do you have in here that is exciting you and is right for you for this time with this script? Um, Steve Martin has tightened the script and really distilled down a lot of the moments. Uh, a lot of the jokes are a lot cleaner now. Um, you know, Steve Martin's a very smart guy, and I think there are. In the first iteration, there are a lot of moments of him just sort of hitting you over the head with some really smart references, and it was really it was really smart for smart sake. And it's it's clear that he's taken a lot of that stuff out. Uh, times have changed too. Some things are just updated in terms of, of of just the modern mentality of of what this play means now. He wrote this in '93. There's a lot of talk about the 20th century. Now we're looking back on the 20th century. It had not yet passed when he was. Uh, when he was writing this, he was still in it. Um, and so that has been a huge change in the script. And then also we as a, as a company, as Jobsite, have really come together as a collective of artists. I think uh, we would do the Lapana Gilles Proud. Um, and really some of the things that have been incorporated into this production of original music, which really shapes and fills the Lapana Gilles. Because, you know, this bar really exists. And it really is a cabaret. And we get that feeling now, which is a, a really a realization of the world. I am. Um, I have- stayed across from it. Uh, when I was this several years ago, about four years ago, I was in Paris and my Airbnb was across the street from it. Wow. And I kept on thinking, like, I wonder if people are going there because of the play. Um, so I went there and there weren't a lot of tourists. I mean, there were tourists there, but there were people there. And... And it was exciting to be there because while I was there, I got into conversations about art. And, you know, so it seems like there is this, this, you know, everything goes around to where it is. Were there conversations about um, art or the future or making things or creativity that you really wanted to highlight in this show? I did. I mean, I really wanted to. There's a, there's a challenge in this piece. Um, that a lot of directors, I think, fall into. Um, that the script can imply that Einstein and Picasso are adversarial with each other. Um, and we didn't fall into that. We, we made Picasso and Einstein have a challenging nature that if someone's going to say something great about what inspires them, then it has to be documented. It has to be backed up. You know, Einstein wants that proof of theory. And at the same time, Picasso is asking Einstein, why can't you just let things be beautiful? And so the way that we were able to bring them together this time and in this iteration, I think really speaks to the way, different ways that genius in, approaches inspiration. I want to uh, bring in uh, Robert and, and uh, Jada back into the conversation a little bit. One of the things that's really delightful about this play is that it's envisioning people, everybody in the play. I mean, I think the bar, you know, the Gaston and is it Freddie? I can't remember the names. Mm-hmm. Like they're a little bit older, but everybody else in the play is pretty young. You know, it's, it's, it's a play about, about youth and about discovery and about... Um, 
like not being jaded about, I don't know. So I would like all three of you to talk a little bit about the idea that it's when these characters are in their early 20s. Yeah, it's it's a really formative time for uh, Einstein and Picasso both. And in fact, I think historically, Einstein would stumble upon the E equals MC squared uh, in 1905. So this is actually, you know, uh, uh, preceding that and... But just barely. But barely. Barely. This so is 1904, so yeah. It's almost Steve Martin making the statement that maybe this is what sparked that mm-hmm. for him. And, you know, and the same is true for Picasso. I won't spoil anything. But he has a moment of realization within the play itself and produced one of his most masterful works shortly thereafter. Yeah. Um, I also, it's like when you're young, you're hungry. You're hungry for more. You want to push yourself as Picasso pushed himself with art and Einstein pushed himself with um, his field in physics and science. And it really reflects the young spirit of just, I guess, this childlike whimsy that people people seem not to have anymore mm-hmm. um because it gets beaten out of you yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> like, um, it's just we need to be we need to be children again and see things with fresh eyes and um open to perspectives and you know the germaine she's she's around 35 or so and um, there's a line she's, she tells Picasso, you like your women young because you can bamboozle them. And, <laughs> and because there's a, a woman named Suzanne in the play who's 19. She's like, she's in love with Picasso mm-hmm. and her admirer. And it's like, you know, Jermaine kind of just brings everything back together. Like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, you need to know what you're about. You, I'm going to tell you about yourself. Well, uh, listeners, I want you to let you know that we're speaking with uh, two of the cast members and the director of uh, Picasso at the La Pina Gilles, which is a play that's opening up at Jobsite Theater. Uh, and it's, we'll give all the deets out at the end of the interview. Um, so, Carrie, will you talk a little bit about that, too, about the focus on, like, that that these, that Picasso and Einstein and um, Charles, of, uh, whatever, the other, the mm-hmm. other quote-unquote genius, self-appointed genius, that they're young men that are excited about their future, Will you talk a little bit about the future and how how that works when, when you were directing, like what you wanted it to be, how you wanted this idea of the future to unfold in the play? Well, absolutely. So, so um, w- well, uh, we, we get to take a, a little bit of, of issue uh, with uh, three men. We had some fun this time, and uh, we we leaned in a little bit and did some... Uh, some non-traditional, I guess, uh, casting is what you would call it. And so uh, you may find that uh, Charles Dabenow Schmendeman uh, is not who you expect. <laughs> oh, wow. Very good. Um, yes, we, and we did that. Uh, we did that. We, we played with expectation um, a little bit with a lot of the characters. And I think that that maybe is, is how we speak to the future. And that's um, appropriate for Steve Martin play since his whole idea is to kind of, you know, make you wonder, well, what that path or that path, or do I go this way or that way? Absolutely. And this is a nod to the surreal. This is a nod to surrealism. And so as a result, we have allowed that moment, these, these futuristic moments to have a very surreal uh, feel to them. There is a little bit of a fever dream in what we're doing, and and it's by design. It is it is 
this play is the best representation of how I think Steve Martin's mind works. (laughs) 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 That could be frightening. We have a lot of controlled chaos. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, uh, one of the things that I was very curious about in this show is there is this uh, friendship or there is a rivalry or a, a a friend of, you know, you're saying like they're not frenemies, but you know, Picasso and Einstein hadn't met before, you know, but they recognize each other pretty quickly. So, uh, Robert, I'm going to start with you and then uh, Jermaine and Carrie to sort of fill it out a little more. But how is you, like, as, as your Picasso is meeting this guy? And uh, will you talk a little bit about what he thinks about Einstein? I mean, is he dismissive? Is he curious? Where is he? Sure. Um, yeah, he's. He's very dismissive at first because I think he's wary of anybody else who uh, dares to call themselves genius and kind of hold them to the same standard that Picasso holds himself to, you know. And then very quickly, Picasso finds out that, oh, this guy's really smart, you know. And then there's that mutual respect that sort of kind tra- uh, starts to creep in. And um, yeah, there are, there, are, there are moments of uh headbutting definitely but then there are definitely moments of um friendship and and blossoming friendship not full on friendship but i think i think that uh one of the things that I like about that is, is, you know, having brothers and and guy friends and stuff like that is that it sort of follows a fairly standard way or maybe stereotypical way i might be exaggerating of how guys become friends you know, is that you're definitely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think about uh, the the old saying, you know, iron sharpens iron, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what it is. They both kind of test themselves against each other, and I think that's what we do as that's guys too. Guys, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good luck being a guy. It's not yeah. not always easy. So, uh, Jada and Carrie, will you talk a little bit about uh, Picasso and Einstein's friendship, developing friendship, and 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 you know, Carrie's you guide it, and Jada's your character witnesses it. You know how how important is friendship and relationships in this play? Like how how important is it to the comedy part, and how important is it to just the whole heart of the play? Yeah, um, I think it's. Like Albert and um, Picasso, they're just, they're like little boys. They remind me of children who are like, I think this way. And then, oh, no, I think this way. And then, they, you know, they have their little fights and all that. But then it's like, oh, there's some similarities in what we think, you know, like kids on a plane. We both like dragons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, in the perspective of my character, um, she has uh, brief moments with Albert Einstein and to where she's kind of just pulling him to be like, do more, like get your whimsy out, get your uh, your childlike essence out. Because there's a part where she like, you know, they're talking about um, Einstein's book and she's, Jermaine is trying to get him to like sell the book. Like we want people to read this. We want, you know, and Einstein's kind of like, uh, well, she, she's know. trying to get him to translate it into, into under, uh, uh, to be able to describe what he what he's done in a th- way that most people could understand. Exactly. Exactly. And um, she's like the first PR chick. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 And you know what's funny is there's actually an Einstein. I, it's attributed to Einstein. I don't know if it's true, but he said you don't really understand something unless you can explain it to a five year old. Right. Works for me. Right. So, Carrie, what were you trying to do with showing this this friendship or, you know, this growing relationship between your two lead characters? What did you want the audience to sort of follow through on that? 
So uh, this is where the director has to kind of give away her secrets, and the show opens tonight. So this, the, the work has been done, and now I can tell them, the two actors who are sitting there and beyond what I was working on, it's a romantic comedy. <laughs> and our love interests are Picasso and Einstein. Right. <laughs> and so what we have done is developed all of the tropes of a romantic comedy, which is to have uh, an unexpected and awkward meeting, uh, we have then taken and put forth some form of competition. There is the competition that is written in the script. And then there is a competition that we have layered on with some affection that is unscripted for a third character that they fight over. Um, there are moments of, of true um, of, of true disagreement. And then, of course, there is the kiss or kill moment where they come together and realize that they are very much the same and very much connected and very much on the same page. And that has a payoff. And so, you know, that's really the model that I used when I was developing these two characters. And I think that, that whether they knew that's what I was doing for them or not, mm-hmm. they have uh, they have admirably played what is uh, a truly dynamic and unique relationship that really does evolve over the course of the play. Robert? Oh, no. I, I've been aware of this relationship. <laughs> it seems like Picasso's involved with everybody right. in the play. I, well, also, I wonder, too, if, and for you, is that Picasso's approach to others is to see if he can woo or charm or, uh, you know, get them infatuated with him? Yeah, I think, I, I think that's where a lot of the validation that he experiences comes from is his success with women and then his success displaying his art and the appreciation that people seem to have for, you know, what he does. Is there a separation between those two successes or are they, are they tied together? They are inextricably tied together. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Jermaine's character, she says uh, in the play, you know, you have the oldest pickup line in the book. I'd like to draw you. And it is what it is. It is what it is. (laughs) So wonderful. So I want to talk a little bit about the people who aren't here. Um, Einstein and Freddie, the owner of the bar, and Gaston, who's just, I guess he's mainly there for comedy purposes. Yeah, and to drink. And to drink. (laughs) And then uh, the third quote-unquote genius that comes in, uh, who is a self-declared genius, much as Picasso is a self-declared genius, but different things. What, um, you know, Carrie, you were talking about this controlled chaos on the stage. Controlled chaos, is that a slapstick kind of chaos? Is it a chaos of ideas, sound? You know, there's all these different people and none of the, um, none of the characters are truly flat. Like they all have something that rounds them out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about kind of the interactions, too, that are going on uh, with Mm -hmm. Einstein, with... Like, Freddie, to me, is such an interesting character because he pops out, like, with these things. He, like, the stuff comes out of his mouth, and you're like, how are you even saying that? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, So go ahead. I'm sorry, Carrie. Go ahead and talk a little bit about what you were doing with... to, like, move focus around the stage because this is a lot of people... A lot of characters to have on a stage throughout most of the play. Yeah, you bring up an excellent point, and it, it, there is one part uh, traffic cop in this in this uh, show. We spend a a lot of time trying to get a lot of bodies on stage seen and heard because this is a it is a constant sort of uh, tennis match of focus, uh, pinging from one to the other. You know, Freddie in many ways is is just the soul of the show. You know, he is the soul. 
He is there behind the bar. He is the constant. He only leaves for a very short period of time to move some action forward. Um, but he is he is the observer and he is the the philosopher, really, in the end. And he is the he is historically based. Uh, he was the proprietor of of the of the Lapana Gila at the time. And so it's it's fascinating. He had a pet donkey, which <laughs> Steve Martin did not write into the show. So I don't know how we would have managed all those bodies and a donkey. I wish. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh come on, come on! <laughs> his donkey was free. His donkey was frequently in the bar with him, according to according to history. But it is it is fascinating. And then of course he's got this incredible foil in. Um, and Gaston, who sits next to him, and they sort of have this, we, we of course, have lovingly referred to them as the Statler and Waldorf, you know, the two old man Muppets, um, in the way that they just sort of sit and observe. And it's, it's fun to watch them because we do have this, as you mentioned, uh, this very young cast. Everybody is playing to their ages. And so as a result, you know, those two just very strong, rooted, grounded characters bringing these asides and these jokes and these observations and these challenges uh, to these dynamic uh, individuals has been absolutely extraordinary and fun to watch. So um, I know that that has been uh, a real delight and something that, that we have definitely tried to play off of. I would say that one of the ways that we've really explored the dynamic elements of this really has to be accredited to um, our music director, Jeremy Douglas, who did a lot of original work that allows characters to really dig into the world, again, playing more with that surrealism that we talked about. And I think those moments um, give us more depth and insight into their characters while at the same time playing in a space of dream quality and surrealism. So um, that sounds really that sounds really intellectual for what is essentially really funny comedy on top of everything else. Um, but yeah, that is one way that we really explored the depth the intricacies and to really be able to provide the focus on each character in their moment and in their time. And, and that's, that's Jeremy just giving us some amazing music to, to support that. That's awesome. So audience, we're talking about Picasso at the La Pina Gilles, which is a play at Job Site Theater. Um, going back to the idea of romantic comedy, uh, stuff like that. Did Carrie, did you give your cast homework or stuff you wanted them to look at or be aware of uh, while they were starting to uh, get into their characters and, and do the play? Oh, those poor guys! <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, when I when I was asking you that, because I didn't ask them, I was just I just thought of it. I was asking that they both made faces, like not bad faces, but they definitely made faces. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, they made faces. They got uh, the very first day of rehearsal. They got a seven page PDF lovingly referred to as the nerd guide. Um, and that broke down everything. Every artist mentioned their work, their influence on the work, what was happening historically, what they could have been, you know, what they could have expected as their characters, as people in the world at that time. And then I have a rather tremendously disturbing encyclopedic knowledge of Steve Martin himself, and so I was constantly giving the biographical or possibly autobiographical aspects of what we were doing on stage, and um, and yeah, uh, no, I'm I'm sorry, I I did I I overloaded them with the research. But I mean, was that so, for you writing that? Did, was that an important thing for you to write as you understood how you wanted to direct it? What was the influence of having that document for you and on what you wanted to do? Steve Martin is so smart that nothing that he does is a mistake and nothing that he does is a throwaway. Everything has incredible, um, 
important and significant. And I will give, I'll give one example of why I did all the research. I did all the research because I knew if it was there, there was a reason. And we all had to understand the reason so we could play the intent of that reason. Um, for, for, our, for your listeners who will go and see the show, this is, this is their gift. This is, this is their reward for listening to WMNF and also supporting local theater. They're going to get a little insight into one part of the show uh, that, that has stumped me for 13 years. There is a joke in the show. It is not funny. That is the joke. Oh, right. But I don't understand why the joke is in there. And for 13 years, I have listened to this joke, and I've been like, what am I missing? Just tell the joke, and then we'll play all the jokes that come after it. We found out through TikTok, somebody <laughs> did a TikTok, the joke that is told in that show is Charlie Chaplin's favorite joke. Oh. More proof that everything in that show has a reason and a purpose. <laughs> and we did, then we went back, we looked at it together, and it turns out that Charlie Chaplin at that time would have been about 17. He would have been doing vaudeville and he would have been touring through Europe. So there is a very good chance that Charlie Chaplin is actually the third that no one would ever know. But in Steve Martin's mind, he knew. Right, right, that he's that genius that did not make it into the play. Mm. Yep. So uh, that is, I want to talk, and you just brought something up, I want to talk about that time, because it was a time when um, suffragettes were marching and starting to march all over the world. There had already been, actually, a governor of a, a female governor of a state in the U.S., and uh, by that time, there's uh, there was a march in the... Uh, 1800s, late 1800s, but they're in the early 1900s, late 1800s in Paris, in London, in New York, in places all over the world. In there were there were marches of the suffragettes. There was, uh, of course, a looming war. It hadn't started anywhere yet, but there had been wars also throughout the end of the 19th century, leading into the 20th century. So there was a real awareness of the world. The world's disruption. Trains were already there. You know, things things were changing, and so I, I I'm assuming, and you guys can answer us. It's kind of why Steve Martin wanted to write about that time because it was about to be. It was already extraordinary, and then it was about in the next few years to become uh, to lose the last tendrils of the 19th century and turn into the 20th century, and that's what. I felt that this play is about, like, here is not necessarily the year 1900, but here at 1904 is truly the cusp of two centuries. So will you talk a little bit about, and, and this is for everybody, the, the idea, because you all are, you know, you have grown up in the beginning part of a century, you know, and sort of learned about the world and maybe had the end of one century and then in now another century. When I was a kid, I used to think all the time, like, it's going to be a new century. Like, how weird is that? So will you talk a little bit about this transition from a big time to another big time and how you guys are all part of that transition? Sorry, big question. <laughs> Are there things relating to now that you see relating to then? I, w I will. I will say to your point. Uh, thank you so much for one particular segue. As I, I may have mentioned, that Charles Davenow Schmendeman is uh, is not played by whom you might expect. Expect. I would also say, um, in a nod to the suffragette, please enjoy uh, her color palette, and I will leave it at that. <laughs> 
All right. So it's there. It is absolutely there. So what about that? I mean, because you all, I mean, there's, if you just look at the amount of change in our world in 30 years since this play has been, you know, I mean, I remember I was a traffic reporter, uh, one of my first jobs, and I had a car phone and it was literally as big as my head, (laughs) you know, and now we have these computers that we carry around with us that are the size of our hand, you know, so just, will you talk, you know, what are your characters, how aware are your characters of being in this, on the cusp of things? It's, it's a massive it's written into the play, and it's a it's a big part. You know, I, I, I everybody's kind of aware that this big change is coming. Um, and the smart thing about the play is that you get microcosms of it. With uh, you know Einstein having a discovery in the play, Picasso having a discovery in the play, and then sort of everybody else kind of catching up. But are they pushing it? Like, are they are they just experiencing it, or are they pushing it? They're simultaneous. They are working together. Unknowingly, they're working to get together towards a common goal, and when their paths finally do intersect, that's when things come to a head, and it's almost like that's what catalyzes the beginning. Of it's the a story. love story yeah. that changes everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's your premise. It's a love story it changes everything. <laughs> so, and then you were talking right at the beginning of the conversation, and Carrie, I think it's when you were dialing in where Jada was talking about how Jermaine, you know, she has this. She's not what we, looking back to over 100 years ago, to almost 120 years ago, she's more outspoken than we've sort of been taught that women were allowed to be, you know. And but she's got she's got it going on. She has definite points of view. She mm-hmm. she is active. She speaks about the future. So. And she's a little bit older than the other characters, a lot younger than some other characters. So she's in a different place. What is her idea? Is she excited for the future? Is she scared of the future? Is she <laughs> grabbing it? Uh, well, Carrie's I, laughing. I, I, I'm just saying <laughs> I, she. I, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because Jada, you may, you know, Jermaine makes predictions about the future, and um, they're the only ones that are right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I I would say she's. She's scared, but also excited because, like like Carrie just said, she makes a lot of predictions that end up coming true. Um, I'm just going to relate it to myself. I'm, I'm a 97 baby, you know? So I was kind of like in the middle of the 90s mm-hmm. and then going into the, to the double O's. And, you know, my first phone was like a flip phone. <laughs> and then we're, we're moving slowly into the smartphones. And now everybody has all this information at the palm of their hand. And, you know, you can go either way with that. It's either a good thing or a bad thing, you know. Mm -hmm. I won't get into it. (laughs) (laughs) Almost everything in the world is either good. Yeah, but she's she's excited. She wants to see progression. Uh, She wants to be outspoken, kind of like myself. Um, (laughs) You know, just just be in charge of her own destiny and, you know, kind of watch over everybody else's destiny Mm -hmm. and see what plays out. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Carrie, was there anything that you wanted to sort of make sure like that was in the play about this, about the idea of being almost almost changing the world or getting ready, like sort of on that cusp? Is there anything that you wanted to bring forward this time in the play that you didn't get to do when you did it 13 years ago? Oh, I mean, there are, yes, there are, there are so, there are so very many, many things. Um, and I think that you know, we've talked about a lot of them today. I think it's it, it's fascinating. There are 
so many elements of this play that are already written into the script that I think we've elevated. Uh, for instance, you know, Jada just gave a, a very interesting um, sort of evolution of what her relationship with technology has been, right? She started with a flip phone and then she goes into smartphones, and now we all hold information in the palm of our hand. Well, that can easily be juxtaposed to Picasso's artistic journey where the idea comes and then he can't get it on paper for a couple of months. And now the idea and the, and the, and the, and the drawing are within weeks of each other and soon it will be simultaneous. You know, our, our appetite for technology and the artistic uh, drive are, are interrelated to one another. Um, that we are all ultimately looking for simultaneous inspiration. Maybe all this is driven by our appetite for speed. <laughs> so, so, Jade, I'm going to put you on the spot. Yes, I am. Will you just just do Jermaine's uh, prediction, that one line where she has with the pink flamingos and stuff like that. Will you give us her predictions? Okay, so she has the prediction of do you want me to do the monologue? Yeah. Or do, you, uh, Would, do you mind? Okay. I mean, I, I know I'm putting you on the spot, and I'm, I apologize, but it's so good, and I want to hear your voice doing it. Okay. I'll do my best. Yeah. It's not, it, no one's going to care if it's not You're perfect. Good. I mean, Carrie's going to um, care really deeply if it's not perfect, but the rest of us will be happy. I do not I promise you. <laughs> All right. Here we go. I think we'll see air travel becoming common with hundreds of people being carried in giant airplanes. I think we'll see images sent through the air and the receivers will become so popular that mass taste will diminish their potential. The city of Hiroshima will be modernized. There will be a brief craze for lawn flamingos. Cruelty will be perfected and by the end of the century, smoking and restaurants will be banned. Music by four lads from Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, all the characters are reacting to what she was saying. Yeah. So that to me is like one of the most uh, Steve Martin-y parts of the play where Steve Martin comes very forward in that because it's these ra seemingly random random things that she's saying, but these cultural touch points where when mm -hmm. you say lawn flamingos, every single person in the world instantly flashes onto that, mm -hmm. you know? So it's this, it's funny touch point where there are other parts in the play we haven't talked about, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm totally out of time, but I'm going to ask one more question. The language of the show. I, I wish you all three would talk a little bit about the language of the show, of the patter, the pattern, the, the patter and the pattern, the beats that you have to hit. Talk a little bit about learning the language and what you like about what it, or if there's something that was especially difficult about his, his words. It's very smart. That's the difficult part. Steve Martin is brilliant. Um, it's fast pace, which is fun, but it breathes. It gives the audience a chance to catch up. And that's just the genius of Steve Martin. You know, he'll make you laugh for three minutes straight and then he'll give you 30 seconds to breathe and then you're right back on the, on the horse, you know, so. So Jada, was there anything about the language that was especially tasty to you or even on the opposite thing that you're like, oh, this is making me crazy? Um, I have to agree with Spence. Um, it's a very smart language, and but it also with our work we've done gives the audience a chance to think because sometimes it can get fast paced and the audience can't catch up, but we give them that time to catch up with the language. And like, you know, Steve Martin is very brilliant and he's, you know, you can see it in his work and, um, yeah. Yeah. 
All right, so we're going to end with Carrie. Carrie, this is obviously a play that you uh, enjoy directing and you think about a lot. What are what are some of the favorite things that he does with his words for for your actors? What's what are some of the things that are so juicy for you? <laughs> there are so many juicy moments and lines, and I have to give full credit for this cast. They don't leave anything on the stage. Every moment is is played and, and chewed up and, and presented in these amazing ways. And so there is so much that I love, but I think if I, if I had to distill it down, it really truly is the moment where everyone is on stage and Steve Martin knows the power of ensemble and you get to watch all of these actors up there playing off of each other, working off of each other and finding little moments every night. And, and by doing so, just you know, bringing even new and, and more unique perspectives to, to these great lines. Um, you know, I, I, we say it a lot because we, we end the show with it, but, you know, at the end of the day, this is a love letter to the 20th century, and that's, that is what we toast is the 20th century that's, and everything that happened. That's so fabulous. Well, there is sort of a surprise uh, person at the that comes into the last little bit of the play, and I'm sure that you have a wonderful twist on it okay. um, but we're going to go out with a song uh, from a soundtrack from a, a recent movie uh, but I want to let you know that Picasso at the La Pina Gil is playing at uh, the job site theater there at the Schimberg Playhouse at the Stras. it opens officially tonight it's been uh, a couple previews and then it goes through October 9th if you want more information you can go online to jobsitetheater.org and everything you could possibly want is there uh, we have information up on our Facebook page. What's next for you guys? Anything you want to mention? Um, I'll be doing a Jekyll and Hyde concert in Orlando with the Florida Theatrical Association. And then after that, later in the month of October, I will be doing uh, just across the bridge in St. Pete. It's called, I think, Pirates and Angels. It's sort of a variety show. Right. And, yep, I'll be doing that. Oh, fun. And that is our guest playing Picasso, Robert Spence Gabriel. Mm -hmm. And Jada, Candy, what are you going to, anything coming up you um, want to mention? This is just a personal thing that will hopefully manifest in the future, but I am working on my first poetry <gasps> collection. Oh, that's wonderful. That I would, that's I'll publish eventually. Um, the title is called Steel and Roses, and it deals with the complicated relationships between mothers and daughters. That sounds fabulous. Mm -hmm. um, I'll make sure you have my email. Let me know when you do that. Not a problem. And then, Carrie, you have anything coming up that you'd like to mention? I go back to my big girl job. I'm the Chief Marketing and Development Officer for United Way Suncoast, uh, where we serve the community uh, in all the different needs. And, and I, that is my, my grown-up job, and I will go back to that. And I am grateful to my team for dealing with my incredibly fatigued and sleepless person. <laughs> for the I've had the, the pleasure of doing this project. So well, I'll go back to that, Dave. Well, thank you all so very much for coming in on to Art in Your Ear and WMNF today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, audience, for listening. We'll be right back letting you know stuff going on. And here we have uh, some Shanka Dukreya.
WMNF is turning New World Brewery into the world's best record store. With beer and pizza. On September 24th from noon to 4 p.m., you can shop our record sale. We have multiple vendors, hundreds of records and CDs, plus music from WMNF DJs. New World Brewery is located at 810 Skagway Avenue in Tampa, just off Bush Boulevard. More information at WMNF.org under events. That sounds good. It's going to be great. I have some CDs to play because I just brought in a whole excuse me, big bag of CDs to give for the record sale, uh, CD and record sale. That is not this Saturday, but next Saturday at New World Brewery. We have so much stuff. And then we've got, I think, 15 or 18 vendors bringing in their records to sale. To sell. It is free to go to. It's from noon to four at New World Brewery. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to see people play in there. Oh, I, I just really hope to see you. I'm really looking forward to it. I want to let you know a couple other things going on around town. At American Stage, uh, last week they opened Green Day's American Idiot. And they uh, that goes through October 2nd. Uh, it is a high-octane rock opera, of, as they say, a high-octane rock opera of love, trust, strength, and discovery. And that is at American Stage. If you want more information, you can go to uh, AmericanStage.org and we will have that posted up on our Facebook page, uh, Art in Your Ear, WMNF Art in Your Ear, or I think it's WMNF A-I-Y-E, but if you search Art in Your Ear, it shows up. Uh, also, Studio 620 is hosting um, Blunt Space, it has a poet, has a open mic thing. It's called Real Loud Open Mic, and that is this weekend at uh, at the studio at six twenty. Uh, and that is, let me make sure, September 17th, tomorrow night at 6.20, starting at 6 p.m. And that is a very kind of adult version of an open mic. So, you know, don't, don't bring the kids to that one or don't bring the little kids to that one if you want them to remain pure. So I'm going to play a little bit of music from those. Uh, as we said, we've got some CDs in here that are from, I don't even remember who this first one is. I guess we'll both find out, eh? Walk along the city street you used to walk along with me And every step I take recalls how much in love we used to be How can I forget you? i 
you? This is Miss Julie. Our week-long fall membership drive is from 9 a.m. Thursday, October 6th through 9 a.m. on Thursday, October 13th. We are seeking volunteers to help take pledge calls, tally people to track funds coming in, and food donors to help feed those hungry and grateful volunteers. Restaurants, chefs, or caterers can find out more about donating drinks, snacks, or individually packaged meals, or how to volunteer by calling me at 813-238-8001 or email Miss Julie, that's M-I-S-S-J-U-L-I-E at WMNF.org. Thanks. This is Doug with the WMNF Public Service Announcement. The annual Lakeland National Drive Electric Day Electric Vehicle Show is taking place at Munn Park in downtown Lakeland on Saturday, September 24th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Owners of many makes and models of electric vehicles will display their cars and answer questions regarding performance, cost, range, maintenance, and charging stations. For more information, go to driveelectricweek.org. And there's so much going on in this area, and WMF is really happy to be able to bring it to you. Well, this is the end of this little show. Barely hear what's... There we go. <laughs> Some music, a little musical bed. Uh, Art in your ears almost over. I see Elove in the other studio getting set up for her wonderful show. And I'm so grateful that she made music, a playlist for uh, last week for Art in Your Ear because uh, I was sick and could not come in. Uh, it was kind of last minute, so I appreciate uh, her and Sam stepping up to help in that. Uh, after E-Love, of course, is a live music showcase. It looks like they're going to have a really big band on. They're setting up a lot of mics and stuff in the studio. Uh, so from 2 to 3 p.m. is always live music in studio at WMNF, or almost always live music in studio at WMNF. Following that is the Reverend Billy's uh, Rhythm Revival, Reverend Billy and Marvelous Marv, and their crew, Patty and... Um, um, sorry, excuse me. Uh, they, uh, Pat, Patty and Paul, they uh, bring all sorts of music, but kind of like grooving off the, the roots of rock and roll. So there might be gospel, there might be um, early rock and roll, there might be blues, there might be country. You never, ever, 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 ever know what they're going to play, except it's going to be fun. We start our evening then with uh, great music from of classic R&B and soul from the Soul Party. And then we finish up our night with uh, a good smorgasbord of music in Dust Soul Kitchen uh, with all sorts of rhythm-based music from 8 to 10 and Flashback Friday, which is Florida-based rhythm and blues. You are listening to WMNF Tampa, WMNF, the best little station in the nation. Please stay tuned. Let your friends know that we're here. If people don't want to listen to commercials, we're the place to go. We are non-commercial. We are community radio. And we are here for our community. Thank you so much for being out there. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week here on WMNF Tampa. Art in your ear. Goodbye. 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 Stay tuned for the Empire News. Let it go.